Glorious day indeed. Take your Bibles and open them to John chapter 11. As you can tell, we have the waters of baptism ready. We have six baptisms testifying of their faith in Jesus Christ. What a joy it is that towards the end of our service that we will do that. But this morning, I want us to, to focus in on the subject of the resurrection. It's only appropriate for us to look at this and be reminded of God's goodness and grace and kindness to us in the completion of, of, of atoning for our sins. We see that throughout scriptures. This is one of the, the occasions where Jesus is interacting with Mary and, of course, with the death of her brother, Lazarus. I want to pick up our scripture reading and use it as a launching pad to what we study as far as the resurrection. Starting in verse 17, the Word of God reads, So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she had heard that Jesus was coming, went to, to meet him, but Mary stayed at, at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if he had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on that last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I, have, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Let's bow in prayer. Father, again, we, we just rejoice in the truth. We rejoice in the fact that you have divinely orchestrated a salvation for sinners. That you have brought hope and reconciliation, forgiveness and grace because of Christ. This great statement of, I am the resurrection as our Lord has spoken. And the life that he who believes in him will not die is, is our hope this morning. We come with, with hearts desiring to, to rejoice in that truth if we know you. And for those who don't, Father, may they receive the word in such a way that draws them to belief. And so, Father, we just ask you to be with your servant as we go through looking at your resurrection. We love you, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. The plan, the proof, and the power of the resurrection. It sets our focus, like I said this morning, on this Lord's Day. For those who are in Christ Jesus, you understand, and of course, if even if you read the scriptures are not in Christ, you understand that the resurrection is the pivot on which all of Christianity rises or falls. You think about this. Everything that Jesus has ever proclaimed, the miracles that he showed, he told his people and to the world that he was going to die and rise. If Jesus does not rise or resurrect then this thing that we call Christianity is a game. So much so, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that we are meant to be most pity. But you and I both know 
There's so much in the pages of the scriptures and the reality of God revealing this truth to us that Jesus Christ is alive. Just as, part, as, as the heart pumps living bread, or living, let me slow down a little bit, I'm getting a little too fast. Just as the heart pumps life-giving blood to every part of the body, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation and the life of the scriptures. The resurrection was the focal point of every other truth that Christ taught. So much so, when we've been studying the book of, of Jonah, Jesus will point back to the reality of Jonah being in a great fish's belly for three days. And he says, I'm going to give you a sign. I will be just like Jonah. Jesus taught his disciples in Mark 8, 31. He says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days... Rise again. As we saw in our scripture reading this morning, in John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Belief, faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which in turn causes those to repent and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That truth could not be obliterated by Satan, this world, even the Roman guards, the Sanhedrin of the day, not even hanging on a cross, laying in a tomb, and even death itself, they all fall prey to the power of the resurrection of the Lord. Listen, no fear in this life. Let me say it this way, no pandemic in this life can quench the hope and joy of an assured life to come when one repents and puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. True Christianity is a truth based on the resurrection of the Lord and Savior. Resurrection means to come back to life or being raised from the dead. When you resurrect something, you bring it back to life. And so the question before us, even before we unfold this truth of the Lord's resurrection, is why? Why is Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and even his ascension, why is this truth so different than all the other worldly religions of the day? Not only is every other religion a set of rules, a cold orthodoxy, based on man trying to work their way to heaven, or to appease their God. It is only Jesus Christ who was fully and truly man, fully and truly God. It is only Him that brings a personal reconciliation to the sinner, to a holy God. It is only in His blood that is able to save you. And not only that, not a single one of, their, uh, of these other religions have their Messiah or their leader or their guru ever resurrecting from the dead. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can reconcile you to a holy God. Jesus points this out clearly in John 14, 6, when he says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. See the definitive thus there. He is, there is only one way. There is only one life. And there is only one truth. 
And no one can be reconciled to a holy God unless they go through the means in which God has supplied, and that is a dying Savior who rose on the third day and conquered sin and death. I think of Acts 4.12 that clearly states in the, in the Scriptures where Peter, the Apostle Peter, says this about Jesus Christ. He says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. The Christ of Christianity willingly went to the cross to suffer, to die, and to rise on the third day so that you and I may live. So that you may have eternal life. That you can be restored to your Creator in such a way as, as to be reconciled and to be in His presence. Beloved, that's how awesome our Lord is. The other religions, their founders, their leaders, they, for one, can't atone for man's sins. And two, their bones are still in the grave. No resurrection. Joseph Smith, bones still in the grave. Gandhi, still in the grave. Buddha, still in the grave. Muhammad, still in the grave. Jesus Christ, there is no grave. That holds his bones. And the question is why? Because he is alive and resurrected. And ascended back to heaven. And now sits at the right hand of God the Father. That is where the resurrected Lord is right now. He's sitting there interceding for those. Who have repented and believe in him. So God the only true and living God. In his grace and kindness. Has brought to the world a redeemer. That's why we shout so, so loudly about the Savior. It is only He that can, can, can redeem you from your sins. All this truth is centered, the whole of Scripture is centered on the resurrection of the Messiah. And so without the resurrection, the plan fails. But there is proof, beloved, and there's power, beloved, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we know without a shadow of a doubt that this is the way and the truth and life. And so let us turn our attention. I just kind of want to do this in kind of a thematic way. Let us turn our attention to this divine plan, first and foremost. Starting first off, the plan of, of the resurrection. I don't know if you realize this, when you go through the pages of scriptures, that this plan of Christ's coming and Christ's being Lord and Savior, has been determined even before the world was ever created. Why? And the question is this. The question is why, right? We always ask the Scriptures the question why, and the issue is this, is because God knows that this displays His glory more than anything else. And so He receives all the praise and the glory when He's able to take a dead man and make him alive in Christ. From the get-go, you have to believe, if you read the scriptures, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was in the divine plan of the triune God in eternity past, even before the world and the people of the world were ever created. That is how awesome our God is. When we speak of God's sovereignty, that's what we're looking to, a God who knows the beginnings from the end. A God who, who, who is, is so focused on, on desiring to make his name known great. And the best way he does that is by sending his son to suffer a death so that we can live. 
How do we know this? Scriptures tells us. The plan of Jesus Christ, atoning work on the cross that leads to his resurrection, is to accomplish redemption. Like I said, this was God's plan all along. 1 Peter 1.20 tells us, For he, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Ephesians 1, 9 through 12. He, God the Father, in context, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, Jesus Christ, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on earth in him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were first to hope in Christ would be the praise of his glory. Truth. God sending his only begotten son into his created world to die, to resurrect And the response of that is to give him praise for his glory. I think of Peter's sermon after the ascension in Acts chapter 2, where he says this about Jesus. This man, Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. One cannot read the scriptures without understanding that God had set this eternal plan of salvation in motion way before the world or people were created. All of this gives him glory. All of this he speaks and the call is for us to believe. And so one would see this, this plan of God, as as the climax of all creation. That's exactly the point. And how does God set all this in motion? How do we know that this was God's plan? Listen, look to Jesus. You think about his incarnation, the very fact that he comes in a miraculous way, born of a virgin, The star that lights the sky, turning on a light for the world to see that the Messiah is here. His life, the many miracles, I think about all the miracles. John tells us in his gospel that the world cannot contain all the books. All the books of the world cannot contain all the miracles that Jesus performed. That's why it's so hard when you read the Gospels, we, especially in the Gospel of John, you get maybe about 10, 12 miracles. But listen, there was a plethora of miracles that God in Jesus, as he walked this earth, would perform. Think about the wine and the water. Too often, we often go to the, the blind man and we go to the, 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 the lady that was healed that had a blood issue. We, we think about all those things and the leopards. But listen, the wine and the water... Jesus was able to dismantle and and change the molecules of water and make it into wine. Listen, I can't even do that to a weed. The miracles 
of Jesus. So many. Multiplying food for the hungry. So many miracles that testify to the fact that not only is he the Messiah, but that he himself is God. So many miracles. So much so that you'd be a fool not to believe. The divine plan of the resurrection started in eternity past, manifested itself in Jesus Christ, and calls us to repent and believe in Him today. So since this was the plan all along, to bring a Savior to save sinners, through sending His Son to die and to resurrect, where's the proof of this? I pointed to the miracles, but there's more proof than that. There are many proofs in the Scripture that the resurrection happened. For one, when Jesus died, he was placed in a tomb, and a huge rock was rolled into place. Men had to, many men had to move this rock in front of the grave so as to shut it up and put their seal on it. The tomb was sealed, and there was placed Roman guards. Because get this, the religious leaders of the day knew that Jesus continually say that, I'm going to rise, I'm going to rise. Even in our scripture reading in Matthew 28, they, they, when Jesus did rise, they had to pay off the guards and make up a lie so that, that nobody will believe in this. They were threatened by this truth. And so these guards were placed there at Jesus' tomb by those who opposed Christ so as to make sure that his body wouldn't be stolen. But listen, beloved, even the plans of evil men can't thwart the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The stone was rolled away by the power, by the angel, as we read in Matthew 28, and most assertively, by the power of the resurrection itself. And taking a step back and looking at all the prophets and, and the prophecies that were proclaiming what this Messiah would do, what Jesus would do, all the prophets of old who pointed to the Messiah, the coming one, the one whom God would send, Jesus fulfilled them all. What's remarkable about this is that trying to put mathematically the reality of all those prophecies to be fulfilled in one guy is remarkable. It is said that if you were to Fill the whole state of Texas with silver dollars, five inches deep, and so happen to take a helicopter and paint one of them red and throw it somewhere in Texas. That's the probability of all of those prophecies to being fulfilled in one. Oh, and by the way, you're blindfolded. So when you walked in the state of Texas, only you could be able to pick up that red one. God has this all figured out. And then, if that isn't enough, there's a passage. If you want to read more about the resurrection, you need to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, for it's a whole chapter on this truth. But I think about the first eight verses of this chapter, and you can look to the screen and write down that reference for study later. But it says there, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, by which you are also saved. 
If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. That's the message that, that the, the apostles, that's the message that we hold today. That Jesus Christ, according to the scriptures, was <clears throat> died, buried, and raised. Paul goes on to say this, and here's the proof. I mean, this is just remarkable. And that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Each of those 500 witnesses may say that they saw the resurrected Christ. Most who remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. In other words, they died. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, the apostle Paul, he says, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Listen, even in our courts today, if he were to bring maybe two, maybe even three, it would confirm the truth of whoever was on trial, the witness's statement, especially with three of them line up exactly what had happened. Listen, there's more than 500 witnesses saying on a given day that they saw the resurrected Christ. This is not some fairy tale. This is truth that, that transforms our minds and engages our thinking that, that we need to take notice. We need to take notice of this salvation and this Lord and this Savior. Only Christ can, can bring salvation. I mean, what other proof do you need? If that's not enough, how about you, those who have received Christ as Lord and Savior? You're a living testimony of the transformation of Christ. And only the resurrection of Jesus can change you. That truth. What more proof do you need? The resurrection is real. It's true. And it transforms. And it redeems. Christ's resurrection can save you from your sins and restore you to a right relationship with God. That leads us to the power of it. I mean, this is remarkable in and of itself. The power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes dead, sinful men into born-again, saved Christians, alive. Jesus' resurrection demands a decision, beloved. I mean, this is not something that you go to church and this is a good story. This is truth that convicts the heart that says, I got to consider all that God has given me in Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection demands a decision. Either you deny that Christ says who he is and the truth about his resurrection. You then must deny the fact that God came in the flesh and lived among us without sin and died on a cross for your sin and rose on the third day. You have to deny all of that. You have to excuse the 500 witnesses. You've got to excuse the faith that's been handed down that transforms people's lives throughout the years. You've got to dismiss this living God. To reject this truth. Or. You can believe that he's alive. That he's fully God. Who brings hope. In a dark world. That brings peace. Reconciliation. Grace. Mercy. The question is. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And that no man shall live 
unless they believe in him. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Can you say with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and Savior and that he has risen from the dead? That's the outcome of the eternal plan of God. That's the outcome of Jesus going to a cross and, and rising from the dead. What are you going to do with that truth? Because, beloved, in all honesty, that's the truth that's either going to redeem you or condemn you. This is not some foolish proposition. All gospel realities hinge on this resurrection, and for your sake, eternity is at stake. You must receive this truth with a willing heart, understanding that you are a sinner in need of grace. But that's a choice. And the scriptures are calling you to not only see this great plan, see the proof, see the reality of Jesus, but also to receive this resurrection, to receive this Lord. For some who are contemplating the truth, the reality of this, for some this could be your resurrection day. As you ponder all that God is doing, and the Spirit uses His Word, He's drawing you to and tugging on your heart to believe. There's no better decision than for you to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Your sins can be forgiven today. And listen, it, it, it seems so simple. I get it. We understand the other religions, they're trying to frantically work, trying to do some appeasing good works so that they can accept or be accepted by their God. Listen, Christ and Christianity says you just all you have to do is repent of your sins, recognize that you're a sinner, and turn to the one in faith and receive him as Lord and Savior. Today can be your resurrection day. And the way you do that, like I say, is to repent and believe. Without the resurrection, salvation could not have been provided. And without belief in the resurrection, salvation cannot be received. Think of Romans 10, 9, where it says, If you confess your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's definitive. Definitive. That's truth. And so the question as we come and gather and enjoy a great day in the Lord's house and as we fellowship with one another, and I smell the ham already in the kitchen. So all that to say, we've got food coming. Most importantly, spiritually speaking, where are you at with Christ? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? The same resurrection that Christ has accomplished can be yours if you believe in him. You can be raised up with Christ if you believe. And so, the question is that the scriptures beg to be answered, do you believe? I mean, I read often in the gospel where Jesus says, and asks that question, we saw that in our scripture reading in John 11, do you believe? The gospel is simple. It is good news for the sinner. 
Which, by the way, Scripture tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because we are all sinners, the reality of the payment of our sin is death. That's why Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, went and atoned for our sins at the cross. This implies that Jesus had no sin, and beloved, he had no sin. He was holy, he was righteous. He claims equality with God, and such he was. I think of John 10.30 where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. That word one, monogenes in the Greek, has the whole idea of one of same substance. They are equal. That means that he claimed to be nothing less than God in human flesh. Jesus. Absolutely, perfectly holy. According to scriptures, a holy God will not receive or accept sinners unless there is a salvation. I think about truth and the law and my own sin. I mean, can we even make it out of a a day without any sin in our own souls? Of course, Scripture tells us that we are by nature rebellious towards God. The unbeliever, his desire is not holiness. Of course, God calls unrighteous, unholy acts as sin, missing the mark of holiness. According to the Bible, everyone is guilty of missing the mark of God's holiness, and thus everyone has sinned. I think of 1 Kings 8.46, where it says there is no man, in the middle of that scripture, there is no man who does not sin. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Man is totally helpless. That's why we need a Savior. And this is how good your God is, your Creator in eternity past, he's already put everything in motion. If man is totally helpless, he needs a redeemer. And if God is holy and perfect and we are sinners deserving in death, we are in a hopeless state. God's holiness and justice demands that all sin be punished by death. Ezekiel 18.4 says, the soul who sins will die. And this is where the compassion and the resurrection of our Lord kicks in. God's not surprised that you sinned. May you understand that your actions will be judged. The question is, is either is it going to be judged on Jesus by giving of his grace and his mercy and his compassion by dying and rising again, or will it be judgment upon you? This great substitute, this atoning work of our Lord is only because of God and His great love for us that we would, that He would, that He would send Jesus as a substitute and a sacrifice for our sins and then die in our place on the cross and then resurrect from the dead. I hope you understand this significant truth. 
It didn't take just any sacrifice to atone for your sins. I mean, when you read the Old Testament, there's sacrifices everywhere. God set all that up for his people on the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur, they, they would bring animals and, and, and hundreds of animals would be, be slaughtered. Prefiguring that there's going to be one lamb who will take away the sins of the world. That, of course, being Jesus Christ. I think of John the Baptist when he saw Jesus coming and Jesus launching his earthly ministry, his public ministry. John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, says, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so my call is for you to look to Jesus. That you can understand that it was according to 1 Peter 3.18, when Peter states this, Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. That's the essence of salvation. Oh, you can be bothering some busy about this life. Yes, you can get up, you can leave, you can ignore this truth. But it doesn't dismiss, dismiss the reality that you will be judged by it. Christ's death satisfies the demands of God's justice, thereby enabling Him, Jesus, to forgive and save those who place their faith in Him. That's why we call Jesus Savior. That's why we call Him a mediator. He reconciles us to a holy God. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 10.9, again, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. God has given you Jesus as a free gift for you to receive and all you have to do is turn from your sins and put your trust in Him. When I say that's all you have to do, listen, when Jesus comes into your life and forgives you of the sin, He will radically change your life. He will give you life, not only in this world, but in eternity. So do you believe in the resurrection? That's what's set before us. That's the heart of, of truth. And if God is tugging on your heart, don't be so foolish as to ignore the reality of the Scriptures. Repent. Confess Christ as Lord and Savior. And what a great truth it is that we celebrate Him today. Amen? Listen, we're about ready to pray. And if you're one who has considered and heard the truth here this morning. Maybe you've been around Christianity, and maybe you've been even playing the game a little bit. The simplicity of the gospel is even in your seat that you can bow your heart in prayer and confess your sins and look to Christ to save, him, save you. That's the simplicity of the gospel. I would encourage you and exhort you to do such a thing. That you would believe in His grace, believe in His mercy, believe that He is the Son of God, believe in the power of the resurrection. And so let us go in prayer. Father, again, we thank You for the morning, for the joy it is to even just touch on the, the power of the resurrection. We know this to be Your plan. We know this to be truth with all the proof that is supplied. 
there is no doubt that you have risen, that you are alive, that you will come again according to the second coming. Yet when he comes again, Jesus, when you come again, it's too late for the one who hasn't professed you. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to receive the grace and mercy and the love of Christ. And Lord, whatever the people are fighting, we know that the Holy Spirit can draw. May this truth settle in the hearts of not only those who believe, but also those who don't. May they see the wonder, the grandeur, and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That statement in itself that was marked with earthquake and the sky is, is, is darkened and the sun rose and Christ showing himself to Mary and Martha and to the disciples and the 500 witnesses and continues to impact the world today. May that be the truth that saves the sinner. And so we ask, Lord, even as we go to the waters of baptism, that we rejoice with those who are are symbolically being baptized because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Those people enjoy and have received the grace of Christ. And they testify in their own souls that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we ask, Lord, that there are continued questions that the one who seeks answers, that they would go to someone, maybe somebody that they brought, if they walked off the street, may they go and be bold enough to approach the pastor, to approach those who know, who clearly have a life difference, so that they can hear more about this great salvation that Christ has brought. So to you alone be the glory, honor, and praise. We pray these things not in a dead Jesus. We pray in a live Jesus, a live Jesus that has risen from the dead. We pray in the one who has brought life Forgiveness, grace, mercy, peace, hope, joy, and definitely love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.